Welcome everyone to the Screamcast episode 89. I am 89. Sean DeRinger. <laughs> With me, Brad Henderson. Yo. Who never yeah. waits for me to introduce him. Happy birthday to Wikipedia. It's the 15th anniversary. <laughs> okay. All right. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, of course, BJ Colangelo. Yo, yo. I don't, know, baby I, don't know why, I don't know why I said your last name like that. I apologize. It's fine. What, what's the weirdest, like, has any like has anybody really like completely butchered your last name? Like what's Colin, the worst? Colin Jello is the one I get the most. <laughs> Colin which, Jello. which just sounds Colin. so delicious. Mm. Um, that's the one that I get almost all. <laughs> I get that one all the time. Um, a lot of people will drop the L and just go Coangelo. I'm like, there, there's an L there. Um, but it's usually not terribly butchered, but it's just yeah. wrong. What about you, Sean? Durager. Durager. Dragger. Durager. It's Durager, and it's like my my grandpa had to put a capital R, D-U, capital R-E-G-E-R, just to get people to like pronounce it right because he was getting sick of people uh, pronouncing yeah. it wrong. I don't, kinda, I don't do that. It's kind of crazy when people butcher names, right? I butcher names all the time. <laughs> I know. Well, so. you butcher names because you can't read. There's a difference. <laughs> you know, I, I used to be really good at pronouncing last names. I used to. I was like, as I said, I was the I was the basketball announcer guy at, in in high school. And I, but I think the traumatic experience that I had that I think I mentioned on the show, yeah, ruined did. that for me. So I used fun. to be I used to be really good until that mishap, <laughs> right? Introduced the Boise basketball team as daughters of so and so's on on parents' night. That was great. That was so. I never, I never had a weird pronunciation of my last name. However, over the phone, I always say, you know, like whatever job I had, or you know, just answering the phone. Hey, you know, this is Brad. How may I help you? Oh, hey, Fred. How are you? And it's like, <laughs> I've gotten Fred from my blockbuster days to even now. People always. I think they just don't want to accept that my name is BJ, and that's what I use at work. So they'd be like, you know, th- you know, thank you for calling my place of work. This is BJ. How can I help you? Oh, hey, CJ. No, that's <laughs> not what I said. Or they'll be like, you, hey, wait, 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 wait. Did you, you did you say your name BJ? was BJ? And I'll be like, yep, that's my name. It, it's in my signature <laughs> when I send you uh, the email that you'll get later confirming, you know, all the information I'm giving. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I get. Because I I I spell my name S E A N, so I get seen or Sion a lot. I'm like, yeah, but here's the I thing, man, it. is that a lot of people like I know two people in real life that pronounce it seen. What? And they get like overly upset if you say Sean. Wait, they they spell it Sean and they pronounce it seen. S E A N. Yes, I work at a hospital. One of don't they know unit- who Sean Connery is? <laughs> what? Wow! That was a real bad Sean Connery. You are not uh, allowed to ever do it again. Just, 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 just stick to Mark Wahlberg. It's a lot. <laughs> but he, um, yeah, he pronounces it "scene" because I went over there and he acted like I had no idea. Like I was speaking to him, and I was like, "Hey, do you know where Sean is?" Nope. I was like, "Okay." I hate cool. when people do that shit. Well, I have, oh God! Um, I'm looking for this this guy, and he's like, "Oh, that's me," but my name's not Sean. 
And I was like, I looked at it and I was like, I don't know, man. That's that's <laughs> looks like Sean to me. Like, what do you want me to call you? And he's like, scene. And I was like, all right, cool. Scene. Like, let's, his parents <laughs> were on crystal meth. Oh, but anyways. <clears throat> Wow, I digress. That was a fun tangent. Nice um, five minutes. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking. Uh, we're just going to probably going to be better than the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> we got some stuff to talk about. We're going to be talking about the you know recent deaths, which uh, we'll try to keep it as lighthearted as possible. But we have we've had some major uh, deaths in the past few weeks. We need to address. Uh, but we also have our uh, scream wait stream screams segment scream streams fuck. Segment. Stream screen. You can't read and you can't I, well, I, didn't, I didn't write it down this time. I need to write it down. <laughs> you, you need to write down stream uh, screams? Yeah, I always get them confused. It's like a weird dyslexia I have with stream screams. Scream what was your screams. dyslexia what was your dyslexia with Junkos? <laughs> that was me just not giving a shit. Uh, so we got a an early Peter Weller film to talk about, and then we also have a uh, 1995 straight to video action flick. We'll be we'll, we will be discussing a little bit later. But first, let's jump into what's on our doorstep. Holy cow! I almost forgot. We'll get the door. <laughs> I will start. Whoa, Sean, taking initiative. Because I watched... I'm ill-prepared, let's be real here. I, That's why I didn't jump in this time. <laughs> I watched my first pornographic film probably since high school. I was going to... I'm really glad that you clarified since high school because I was going to be really concerned if yeah. you are going to end the sentence yeah. with my first pornographic <laughs> film. Like, you have children. How? What? Yeah. No, I'm I'm, since high school. I'm I've just never been a porn guy. Not even college. I've you know well that that's that's the thing. I I should say porn film because after you know once the internet clips don't count exactly. Um, Okay, uh, okay. So we're actually passion HD does not count. Okay. Wow. (laughs) You just dug a little deep. (laughs) See, I'm aficionado on it. So if you ever make a joke. I know exactly what you're yeah, talking about. No, probably. I'm see, I've, I've nothing to hide. But okay, I'm just saying, okay, but sitting so, down okay, watching. I think that's the film. difference, is because I think that's kind of a it's it's a loophole to say you don't watch it. Is like, oh, I've never watched a full movie of porno. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, I, mean you know, I would say that was a good portion of myself too. You know, because I always ended up, you know, done before it was done. <laughs> Just give me a minute and a half. We're oh, good to go. Damn. <laughs> For that. Um, anyway, but, but I mean, as far as like, like, all right, I'm going to sit down and watch a pornographic film. Like, I haven't done that. I mean, most of the time, it's, you know, you need to take care of a little bit, a little bit of business. You find something that'll uh, suffice and uh, you, you know, you get it done. BJ, I apologize okay. if this is too much information. Everyone, I apologize. Why are you apologizing? Hey, you don't need to apologize to BJ. What? BJ watches porno. <laughs> <laughs> I watch so, way more than you do. I know. I, so uh, anyway, so I I got the Vinegar Syndrome film Corruption because I was like, well, maybe this is something <gasps> yes. different. Maybe this is something you know a little more artistic. It is. Uh, it's a film by Roger Watkins. 
Um, it is. I think it is if you watch a lot of porno, uh, of these types of films. And it's, it is definitely different, um, because it's. How do you know it's different? You never watched one. The last one I saw in, like, when I was in high school. Yeah, and, and the stereotypes. You you know the stereotypes of you know of, of correct. Yeah, I do. Things. That's why I think this one's a little bit more special because it's on a whole new level so, of porno. What True was interesting facts. interesting to me is, um, I mean, it's kind of structured, you know, as a standard porno. A little bit of uh, moving the plot along. Then there's a scenario, uh, a bunch of sex. Moving along to the next, uh, moving the plot along. Very kind of a thin plot, but. What it was inter- interesting to me was how disconnected everyone was, and that seems to be a purpose- purposeful thing. Like it wasn't trying to be like sexy, you know. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It was like no, I, it's, it was. It's, so... Well, I mean, the situation of the plot is that you know we're given a guy who has you know these. Uh, I mean, in a way, it's you know a film about temptation, of course, corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the reason why it's not – well, I mean a lot of porno, porno from the 70s and 80s isn't clean because nowadays we're so used to completely shaved people. <laughs> but you know, uh, back back then, I mean hair was hair and it was everywhere. Um, so – but aside We need to bring from, it back. <laughs> aside from – I think the, so. I mean, you, know. you know, the dirtiness of – I guess people would consider dirtiness of that – I think on another level, it's very, um, you know, it's, and we talked about this the last episode with like, kind of like knock, knock is that you're not given that deep, dark sense of temptation. And I think this is one film that does stagger that. And you get to see, you know, a man who breaks down in a way like take, take all the point. Let's take, let's talk about the film without the sex. Yes. And have a conversation on that note because I think alone this film is a lot more important and kind of has something to say if you actually take away the porno and just make it a straightforward psychological drama. And I, I actually tried to do that because the the, the scenes would go on for so long I would just, just be like, come on, and I would just fast forward, uh, fast forward to let's get to the next. Let's get it's, it's almost like a musical, right? Let me, let me fast forward the musical numbers. Get to what the plot's about. Wow, you're offending BJ left and right. <laughs> I'm real upset with you. I'm going to give you like a some, crash course music, and all the porn the, you need to watch Musicals to catch up is with. the wrong thing because I understand that the songs actually perpetuate and move forward the plot. Uh, whereas in, in a porno- pornography, most of them, that does not happen. In this case, though, I feel like they actually tried to have – while the sex would go on for a while, like a standard porno, they actually try to convey a message and move the plot forward using these scenes uh, in a way. So that's very interesting uh, it, to me. I don't know if I'll ever re- rewatch this. This is not. I don't know. Uh, I, th- I think honestly, <laughs> what I I think you should. However, I think it should be after if you do watch more art house pornography, and I think you'll have a more of a respect for mm-hmm. this to see kind of how how crazy, you know, this film actually gets and we have this fucking erotic piece of cinema that kind of gets under our skin because we're watching such a, you know, uh you know, 
kind of a good guy in a way, this mm-hmm. uh, William, this Williams character or whatever. And, you know, he has that debt. And the way it starts, too, like we start with kind of this Lynch-like type cinematography and this like John Carpenter soundtrack. Yeah. And it really just pulls you in. Like I even said that to you in the beginning. I was like, if fucking Carpenter and Lynch made a hardcore pornography together, this would <laughs> yeah. probably be it. That's you the know? best way to describe it. Like definitely. it, like just the way that music pulls you in, it gives you that sense of dread. Even before we see what he unfolds and this debt that he owes and kind of this, you know, um, I wouldn't I would I would get yeah I would say it's deceit like this uh web of deceit he kind of gets into mm-hmm. um you know and in all these things that unfold and for him to like keep going to all these rooms and experiencing what he experiences just take like close your eyes not watch the actual pornography because I think I think that's kind of what for a lot of people kind of ruins it because they're like, Oh, this is a porno. Well, not necessarily. I mean, it's a movie with sex. It's that's all it is. And I think if you watch it like that and watch him go to each room and just picture him having sex and, and doing these like, you know, carnal desires or whatever you want to call it, you know, all this, all this crazy shit. Um, I think the film actually has a lot to say because, you know, it's, it's a tale of mortality and just weird, just yeah. like this weird. Like, cause you always, you always hear about those like weird, like true stories of, you know, underground, you know, sex rings and all that kind of stuff. You, you kind of, I think in a way someone to really try to fuck somebody over like this, this would be a good story. I don't know. That's why I think it's a it's a little bit more than just you know porno, a porno film. And also, Roger Watkins is a motherfucker. He's really fucked up. And even stuff with like Last House on Dead End Street. I mean, he really like churns it out. He knows yeah. kind of what gets under your skin, and he can make really dirty, trashy cinema. Well, and he does. I, that's what I wanted to get into, and, and and the reason why I got this was because there is that uh, print. That, that the Easter egg of Last House on Dead End Street, and I really want to see it. I know that Vinegar Syndrome is planning on bringing it to Blu-ray or something. They're currently, or they're going to be yeah. restoring it. But it was almost like this kind of Easter egg was almost, you know, too too tempting to to pass up. So, yeah. so I, had, I had to grab it. I haven't watched it yet. Um, I do have how to find it now. Um, and if any of you want to know, I suppose you can DM us or something. You know what. How to, how to get the the Easter egg of Last House on Dead End Street? <laughs> you know, it was funny because um, I had that Black Friday guide that came out for Vinegar yeah. Syndrome, and I actually put on how to find it. Yeah, and then I sent it over to the Vinegar Syndrome guys, and they're like, "Dude, you need to take that out. We want people to literally go crazy trying to find this." <laughs> <laughs> it is it is ridiculous how to get to it. <laughs> It's like really, so, you guys. But once I found out, I was like, "Man, that's kind of fucking cool." <laughs> so, uh, so, if if and uh, I, that's why there's honestly like one of the best distribution companies on the market because they're they still do shit like that. Whereas yeah. like everyone else, it's you know within a day it's spoiled and everybody can do it. But they're like, "Nah, we're gonna keep it secret and you can go fuck yourselves." It's like, oh, I love that. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, no. I mean, you know. Best. 
Just, just how this is a weird one. This is the one I need to like hide from everyone in my household. You know this Blu-ray, but um, you know I respect it. Like it's a film that I I respect. I can see what he's doing. I I respect that he's trying to do something other than the standard, just kind of goofy sexploitation, sexy time. You know, porno films. You know what I mean? Like he's actually trying, you know, to really do a actual film and um. It, and I mean, I still haven't watched. Um, there's two. What I haven't, I haven't watched Necro. No, not Necro. Uh, Nymphomaniac. I've watched Necromantic. I haven't watched Nymphomani- Nymphomaniac yet. And I don't know how that would compare to a film like this. Like if you know if that would be considered pornography or just art house. You know, with some with some hardcore hardcore, hardcore sex. Um, the so best know. pornographic films. Like the best musical theater, <clears throat> when the emotion gets too much, they break out into song slash fucking. Hmm. That's the way I always like to think about it. If something feels forced and out of place, then it, you know, to me, then it's, you know, you know, it's they're doing it for the sake of doing it. But when it's, you know, it feels if you can take the actual sex out of the story and it's still a good story, mm-hmm. then like that's important to me. I can respect that totally. But then sometimes it's nice to just watch fucking for fucking sake. <laughs> well, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. Because let's let's be real Truth. here. Anyway. Um. So so I watched that and. Uh, and so the next movie, the only other movie I got to actually watch other than the, the two that we're going to be talking about today for sure, um, is a, not a horror film, but a straight out of Compton. And let me tell you, Ooh. the director's cut, uh, I watched it. It's two hours and 45 minutes. Jesus. And, uh, but that thing flies by. It's, uh, so well, either it's really well edited and well done, or I was just kind of caught up because I was huge into, you know, I was this white country boy in Iowa obsessed with gangster rap. <laughs> of course. So it you was were. really fun uh, watching this and kind of getting the memories of my dorky self, you know, discovering this through my cousin who was really into it. And, and your Jenkos? Um, yeah. This is before Jenkos. 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 Whatever the fuck. I don't care. Um, but it was, this was, this movie was really fun. Like, I think the casting is, is just fantastic and spot on. It kind of dives into, you know, standard biopic type things, but it's almost, you know, if you're going to work, if you're going to do something in the music industry, it's almost, all these stories are somewhat the same. Someone's rise to fame and, and the things that they deal with, money and power and stuff like that. But, um, I'm, I just, I can't believe that this thing, basically got snubbed at the Oscars except for the writers who are all white by the way uh but like the actors are snubbed the director like it's just this was weird to me because I had such a great time watching uh this film uh it's because it's the Oscars <laughs> yeah well yeah that's a whole, other, whole other conversation but um but Ice Cube Sun O'Shea Jackson Jr. was fabulous as Ice Cube and uh, it was like watching a younger. I mean, it's he's related. Obviously, he's gonna have he get those mannerisms down. But uh, I think him and and uh, and the actor who played Easy E, um, who played Easy E, Jason Mitchell, just nailed it. But I had a fun. Have you guys seen this yet? I, I haven't mm-hmm. yet. 
it's a lot of fun. I really liked it a lot. It's good, man. It's the the one. Oh man, the concert footage and stuff. Oh, it's just when the first time the Easy E gets on the mic in the recording studio, I like got goosebumps and had a big old stupid grin on my face when he starts, you know, rolling down the street in my six four. Obviously, I'm white and cannot rap at all. Rolling down the street. Rolling down the street in my six four. (laughs) Hey guys, (laughs) I listen to the gangsta rap. Oh <laughs> Today was a good day, huh? The huh? amount of people that just turned off the podcast like that's I'm done. That's all I needed. Oh well, I'm not going to imitate, you know. And <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. But uh, straight out yeah, of Compton, don't do that, please. Really don't. good. Uh, the director's cut. I haven't seen the theatrical, but the director's cut for it. How being long is the um, theatrical? Two hours and twenty five minutes. So oh, they so add, it's not, it's, they tack damn, on twenty minutes. It's a fucking long ass movie. <clears throat> yeah. But it, it's good. I mean, I it heard flies it's by. I don't, I don't doubt doubt it at all. I just haven't got around to it. I know for sure. Like the first hour, like I felt like it was only thirty minutes or at least less. I looked at the clock. I was like, "Whoa, an hour's gone by." Just I was just that's so. How, that's how I engrossed. feel about Kill Bill. Yeah, Kill Bill is like the shortest movie ever to me for some weird reason. Yeah, it's it's a testament to like good editing and good storytelling when a movie just yeah it's flies just, it's, on by. It's all about editing and storytelling because yep. sometimes it. 60 minute movie 65 minute movie can be three hours yep so that's that's all i got to talk about mm. i have other things on deck that have gotten in the mail on deck that i want to get to <laughs> but uh the the pile just keeps on growing and like my dick all right <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. i've only right. got two or i've only got three this week whoa, um, go ahead yeah, well. Um, so <laughs> the first one was a Netflix watch. Um, I watched Contracted Phase Two. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there's a reason why Eric didn't want his name on that one. It's a movie. It is. Um, it's a it's movie, a movie that, that happened. It's a movie <laughs> that exists. And here's the thing that makes me real bummed is that Morgan Peter Brown is consistently one of my favorite performers. (laughs) He does not get nearly enough work or nearly enough credit. I think he is the perfect everyman, and he finally gets to play something other than, like, guidance counselor or, you know, nice guy with glasses, teacher. Yeah, he gets to play something badass, and he's so good in it, but everything around him is awful, uh, and it's a shame so uh, because original, he's great. The original writer and director not involved at all. Correct. He actually Correct. requested his name to be pulled from everything. Wow. Yeah. He did um, not want his name attached whatsoever. Yeah. Like, not even um, original story by Eric. Okay. Yeah, he wanted, he wanted nothing. Wow. Um, there's... Uh, like Najara from the from the first one, she is like her dead body is in it, um, and then uh, Matt Mercer is kind of he's from he was in the original and he's kind of yeah. running the show in this one, and he's he's not bad. He's working with what he's got. The script is just abysmal. Mm. Oh Lord, is it bad? And it's just, I mean, <laughs> for what it's worth, it's a movie that if you are like six deep in you'll probably have a great time with because it's got some moments that are just real gross and kind of ridiculous but for the most part it's just fucking absurd um especially as a sequel if it was a standalone i think i probably would have had a lot more fun with it 
um, because it yeah. is really ridiculous. It's just completely absurd. And um, I think in that sense, I it's nice to see kind of a completely different angle taken with that story. Um, but given that it is a sequel, you ha- I, I have to look at it as kind of a through line. And it's just such a weird way for it to go huh. <laughs> compared to yeah, the original. You know, it's one of those things like after the original, you know, during the original, once you find out like exactly what's happening, you're like, man, it's so fucking cool and badass. Man, I would love to see a sequel, but maybe I don't because that's kind of the fun of the reveal. Right, is the, the is ambiguity happening. of the first one is kind you know? of the the charm of it. So whether um, it goes that direction or stays with the STD thing, I don't know. It's just neither of them worked as I think would be a sequel, and I just really don't think this worked yeah. at all. Well, this is a, the writer is his first screen screenwriting gig. Yeah, the, and that's in in all honesty, that's where the problem starts. Is it it all lies in the script? The people that are in it, you can tell, are really trying to make this shit work, and it's just not happening. There needed to be more of you know the BJ character huh. because when he is on screen, he seals it absolutely every single time Morgan was on screen. I was like, yeah, you're great, and it's not because I love all of your other work. It's because you're legitimately great, and you're bringing something really cool to this awful film. But it, everything else is just kind of a, a fucking mess. But it's, um, it's it's one of those things too that yeah, it might be a first time screenwriter, but I think as we all know, kind of how how Hollywood in that scene. Uh, you know, is especially companies because mm-hmm. a company will purchase a, you know, film to distribute it. It will do well. And they're like, okay, now we want to actually do the sequel and we will yep. fund it. And that's exactly yep. probably what happened with this because they're like, man, this is a big hit on Netflix. People are talking about it. It's all over the place. We got to do this quick. Got to hey, cash in. Well, we got to cash in. And that's exactly yep. all it is. It's just, it's just a cash in because, they're going to get views. People, you know, even though it's not a huge movie, it was one of those that had a long lifespan on Netflix. And yeah, still, yeah it snuck up on everybody. No one really know. knew about it. And then it popped up and then word of mouth spread like crazy. It also hit that sweet spot like right before the end of year lists came out. And then it was like, boom. And everybody was talking yeah, about it. Was it was in my top 10. It was of, on mine too. Uh, it was like seven top or eight. 2000, yeah, top two. T- yeah. 2014 yeah you know? same i i loved it yeah. um and you know like i said this this new one i think if it wasn't a sequel i probably would be hailing it as like it would have been this, an okay like directed video movie. absolutely i would have been like this is like trashy fun but because it's a sequel i have to look at it from that angle um yeah. and that's kind of what sucks about i'm kind it, of excited but. to see what people people say about it the general public yeah, I am too. I think, and I think that's what it's going to be. I think most people are going to be like, it's not as good as the first one. I think we're going to get a lot less people that are going to be able to be objective and say, nah, dude, it's kind of trashy fun. Because in all honesty, it is trashy fun. It's just, it's not a I think good calling movie. it phase, <laughs> I think calling it phase two is probably the worst thing to do with it. I think it just yeah. should have been contracted part two. Yeah, it's, or uh, whatever it, eh. Yeah, I think calling or contracted it contracted anthology uh, 
something else. Yeah, I just think calling it Phase Two <laughs> was definitely because then, uh, yeah, then you think that it's going to be like because an you think it's going to be her story yeah. or whatever, and it's or go not. that route that the film does at the end. You're like, oh shit, that's what I thought. I thought Phase Two was like, fuck yeah, all right, maybe yeah. I'm going to see something cool. Maybe go in a completely different direction and not make it about STDs this time. But yeah. whatever, okay. Yeah, so that was that was that one. Um, so then I also completely forgot that I have a subscription to Shutter, and <laughs> I don't know how I forgot, but I got an email that was like, "Hey, you made an automatic payment," and I was like, "Holy shit! I forgot that I've been paying for this for like six <laughs> months. I should probably watch that." Um, so I checked out a film called Severance. Um, oh, Severance it, is great. Yeah, um, I had never seen it, never heard of it, but I love, you know, British kind of comedy horror. So I checked that out and I had a fucking blast. (laughs) I thought it was great. I love the relationships of, you know, it being, uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's about, you know, people who are coworkers on kind of like those stupid team building retreats which immediately puts together an awesome group because it's not friends. It's not Mm -hmm. family. It's people that just work together, which I don't understand why there are not more movies that focus around that sort of relationship because that's so interesting. Yeah, I just did like an an escape room team building thing with my coworkers not too long ago. It's the, like, it's the best to watch because (laughs) you don't have to, you don't have to force the relationship of like, oh, they're related, therefore, like, blood is thicker than water, and you don't have to force, like, the, oh, they've been friends for 30 years. It can be like, nah, Sue fucking hates Jim and wants them to die. Like, that's an amazing way to set up a film um, because it just makes it more interesting to play with. So already I was like, yep, I'm in. Um, And then plus it's, you know, a a horror comedy, which is already kind of a sweet spot for me. Um, It's, you know, kind of a kids in the woods thing, which, you know, I'm going to watch no matter what. Uh, it's really funny. It's got kind of a, a dry sense of humor. Um, it's a lot of fun. I, I highly recommend checking that one out. Um, it's, there's not really much to say. It's not reinventing the wheel, but yeah, it's, fun. it's, yeah, it's fun. It's the director it's did, uh, did triangle oh. and black creep. death and, and yeah. And creep. And creep, really creep. Yeah. Yeah. The recent Christmas movie. Oh, oh, that explains. Okay. Out of nowhere, he did get Santa. Wow. It's not hmm. all that bad. Don't trash it. It's not. I watched it with Willow. It's not that bad. I'm not going to trash it. <clears throat> I was about to. Yeah. Because well, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not the market for that one. Cruising down the street in my <clears throat> six four. Cruising down the street in my <laughs> six four. <laughs> Smacking the hose. so and then um the last one i saw was um shiver of the vampires Ooh. from 1971 um shiver of the vampires it, i think it's french maybe french i don't know languages <laughs> no, just Franco did not do it. It's a uh, Gene Roland. Gene Rollin. Oh, Gene Rollin. Okay. Thank you. Um, 
kind of falls in that same vein of every yep. other fucking vampire movie that came out in the but early 70s. But it's also 70s. that Jess Franco, like, Gene, Gene Roland's very much like a Jess, he's like, he is the French uh, Jess Franco. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I liked it. Um, I lo- it's <laughs> See, the premise is what hooked me, because... So a couple is going out into the country to meet their cousins, like to go visit them. They arrive and discover their cousins died the day before. <laughs> like, what kind of shitty vacation are you going on? Like, we're going to go visit our cousins. And they go and show up and it's like, oh, they died yesterday. <laughs> that <laughs> sucks. Um, and of course, they're greeted by these two uh, like Renfield type characters um, that are like super hot and seductive and you know, of course, totally, totally brainwashed, um, which I love because the Renfield archetype is my favorite of any of the vampire kind of genre. So the fact that I'm getting multiple makes me happy. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, very kind of early 70s vampire movie. You're not going to get anything that you haven't already seen. Um, everyone in it's wicked hot. So you got that going for you. Um well, the thing with Gene Gene Rollins' films is that he might not have, you know, the the horror aspect or the gore aspect or thrilling or suspenseful or anything really. Um, his films are very beautiful, though. Oh, absolutely. It, just but the atmosphere and the surroundings. But that's kind of like, the same thing. But I would argue that for a lot of that, like that, just that time period. I don't know about everybody else but when somebody's like hey it's a vampire movie from the 70s i'm like okay so it's going to be really pretty it's going to be very atmospheric it's going to have kind everybody's going to be super sweaty it's going to be there's going to be a glow to everything everyone's hair is going to be perfectly like quaffed and teased everybody's going to look ethereal as fuck and that's just how it is everyone's going to walk as if they're floating whether or not they're a vampire or not and that's just how everything is everything's drapey and flowy and gorgeous and it's that's just what it is that's just that was its own kind of style and subgenre of vampire films. And that, that was just the way they were made back then. And that's cool. And I like it, but we have a million of them. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of like almost erotic, but not quite, um, not as erotic as I would have liked it to have been. Um, but eh, almost, but I, I wouldn't not recommend it. I think it's, I think that it's a, I think it's one of the better ones that I've seen from that time period. It's not bad by any means, but I think it's a redemption title, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I watched it off shutter, so I wouldn't know. Yeah. I think it's a redemption. Most of Gene Rollins films are, um, redemption. Redemption's the label that releases them. Okay. Yeah. yeah they do all the, than... like the, uh, erotic vampire movies. Yeah. Yeah, Which, more than more than likely then. It's like eighty percent of his movies. That and so. zombies. <laughs> Zombie Lake. Yeah, I would I would assume then it's probably probably redemption title, but either way, it's on Shudder, you can watch it. And speaking of Shudder, I need to talk to them. Shudder has so many incredible films, but why the actual hell in their alphabetical do they lump all of the the titles together? <laughs> Like, I was scrolling through it, and then I got to the T's, and it was like, the abyss, the uh, uh something. I was like, you've got to be fucking me right now. Like, no! That just makes everything so much more difficult. 
Anyway, yeah. minor rant. So be aware, if you're using Shudder, all the thes are lumped together. <laughs> no taken. I don't use Shudder. But I like what they're doing. You should. They have Their collections are crazy. Like, they have so much. That's how I watched, um, oh, God, what is that? Oh, that movie you had me watch that's really screwed up with the kids, that um, the Joel Edgerton film. Oh, Acolytes? Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I watched it off of Shudder because that was the quickest way I could find it. Sweet. is great. Yeah, they have so many films that, like, you can't get off Netflix. It's like a kind of a love child between Netflix and the stuff on Amazon Prime plus some other stuff. They get a lot of titles that – they get a lot of Scream Factory stuff. They get a lot of um, uh, other random stuff. Like, you can watch The Battery and st- on it, which is cool. Um I don't know. I have to look into what all they've acquired. Yeah, I, I've they, looked at the there's beta. There's a lot of stuff. Even when the beta was, they they had a lot of crazy shit on there. So yeah, the yeah, lo- pretty cool. A lot, a lot of a lot of Asian cinema too, which is cool. Yeah. Right, that's I it. Guess, I guess I will go. I have kind of a short stack. Um, I got around to watching. Is that a laugh, Sean? Was that you? Um, <laughs> yeah. I um I got to the sequel of. All Hallows Eve, which I was a fan of the first one. But no one knows what that's about. You've probably seen the cover a million times. It has a clown on the front, and his name is Art. Um, All Hallows Eve was uh, directed by uh, Damien Leone, I think his name was. Um, it's not really a feature film. Damien, with his friends, made a few short films uh, together based around this clown, Art the Clown. One was like Terrifier. Um, I can't remember one of the you know the other shorts. Well, anyways, to put a feature together, they made a surrounding story where this girl gets a videotape when she goes out trick or treating. The babysitter watches it, and the anthology unfolds. Um, and everything was basically aside from the VHS tape watching and an additional new short that they filmed. Everything was pre-existing. It was just an easy way for them to get a feature, maybe get some money, you know, funding for their next movie. It was kind of a cool concept to do, you know, even though it's in a way it's cheap, but it's smart. Um, So of course, when LRJ picked that up and that was a very successful title for them, they released it on Blu-ray after, you know, the DVD uh, was out. So, of course, what do they do? They jump on the bandwagon and say, hey, submit us your shorts, and we're going to put it together in an anthology. And we get All Hallows Eve 2. Same premise. Girl uh, is alone. She sees this weird person standing in the street with a a pumpkin mask and a knife, leaves a tape at her doorstep. She puts it in, and here the shorts unfold. However, the shorts are actually pretty cool. Um, they're not that bad. Um, there was one that I saw at Fantastic Fest a couple years ago that was in it, which I was very happy to see again because I really liked it. It's called Jack Attack. Um, this is a little Jack Attack is really cool. Yeah, Jack Attack's a lot of fun, and that's the first opening short, so it kind of sets the bar pretty high in a way. Um, and then then other uh, other short Julian Richards is in one, or is it Julian Richings or Richard? I can't even remember. Um, I couldn't tell you. When you see him, you'll know who he is. He's like in every horror film. Um, so, it, I mean, it has this, you know, a few, it has like four or five shorts. 
um, and does, you know, a wrap around. Um, of course, the only new footage that was probably filmed was the videotape footage. Um, but it's it's a fun little anthology. It's it's uh, you know a quick and easy, very short. Um, the credits are fucking longer than the actual movie, I think, <laughs> because they do individual credits for each each film. Oh, okay. Um, and it's a long, like literally, I sat there and watched it because I wanted to know the names of the shorts. Um, and I think I sat there for like fifteen twenty minutes. It was ridiculous. So is it like the um, end of ABC's of Death? <laughs> no, it's longer than that. It seems. Oh, Ooh, dang. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a fun, I, I prefer the first one just because I like art, the clown quite a bit. Um, and if you do watch all hollows Eve stay after the credits, because the creepiest moment in the entire film is the end credits when art pops up again. Um, but really a deep, like if you're scared of clowns or have any fear, this movie could scare uh, the first film could scare the shit out of you, especially Terrifier. Terrifier is really fucking good. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, it'll be cheap, probably at you know Target, Walmart, Best Buy. Definitely pick it up. You know, support uh, support the label. Maybe we'll have more shorts to get uh, because that's the thing with shorts is that you know we see them like especially myself. If you go to film festivals, we see these really great shorts, and then we never ever hear of them or see them again. Yeah. Unless you kind of seek them out and maybe the filmmaker uploaded it on his Vimeo account years later. So that's the one thing that really, really sucks is, you know, there's a lot of great shorts. Like I know uh, one was released on iTunes. This is a different tangent, but it's fine. It's, it's promoting. Um, you remember Stage Fright, the um, you know, musical that came out a few years ago? Are you talking about Legend of... Uh... Yeah, The Legend of Beaver Dam. Beaver Dam, that's what it is. Yeah, Legend of Beaver Dam is incredible. And it took a long time for that to get any notoriety until, like, he got the money for Stage Fright. They released it on iTunes for, like, a buck to, you know, to buy. And it, and it I think it's really on great. YouTube now. Yeah, and eventually it was uploaded on, online. I know um, Marcus Dunstan and uh, Patrick Melton, you know, the collector saw guys, uh, they had they're, a short. They're so that, good. <laughs> that had it was called the candidate. That yeah, is really yeah, yeah. fucking good. Like that's literally probably my favorite short of all time. Um, and that's incredible. And it took a long time for that actually get online. So this is cool that you know a company is going around doing this. They kind of did the same thing. Um, Dread Central kind of did the same thing for Zombie World, but they literally picked the worst shorts possible. Like those shorts well, are fucking awful. Well, so I I've been wondering about this for a while too. Is that because right now there's two short films on Netflix? There's uh, Kung Fury and uh. Um, uh, World of Tomorrow are both on Netflix, and they're both like I think like twenty thirty thirty minute films, which you know obviously those aren't like. Super short, but they're still considered right, short they're films. Still shorts. Yeah, they're so under I'm wondering minutes. if are do you think that they're looking to kind of open that they, sort of? Sorry, I'm cooking food because I'm. Up? <laughs> no, I'm cooking food because I'm starving. I haven't eaten at all today. Anyway, um, I don't know if they like if that's something that they're looking to do. I think that it'd be a brilliant move because I think it'd be great for the most part, there's really section. absolutely there's really no place for like you said, there's no place for short films to go with outside of 
maybe uh, you know, uploading it to Vimeo. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe the director has you know a Blu-ray come out of his feature, and they put they tag the short on the special features. But I mean, that would be, yeah, that would be fantastic if you know um, you know Vudu or Netflix they actually had a short short section because you know some nights at ten thirty I'm like you know what I'm not that tired yet, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wow you're actually getting the plate out of okay. So we're going to actually follow BJ with, uh, you know, curing her starvation. Yes. Um, <laughs> making me hungry now. I can smell it <laughs> through the mic. I'm um, trying to mute myself so you can't hear me getting the plate out of the microwave, <laughs> and I didn't click it soon enough. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that would be really cool to to actually see maybe a short, short side because, like I said, you know, Maybe sometimes ten o'clock, ten thirty at night. I'm not really that tired, but I don't. I really don't watch TV shows, so I don't want to watch an episode of something because of that. But you know, something quick and easy like a short film of twenty minutes. Yeah, I'll be down. Yeah, totally. There's, there's some incredible. Like I wish I could curate something like that because I've seen hundreds of short films and so many fall by the wayside and that's exactly what i'm going to do for the screencast.com i just not thought about it um i promise i will bring that's you a great idea a short a week i i promise i'll bring you a short you can a have week. any of mine and i will feature bj and zach has such a good one we talked about it on the lanaya quigley uh episode and you're um um, your abortion one too, or your, oh, uh, thanks. that one made me fucking laugh. It's really good. Cool. It so, should. Yeah. So kudos to BJ and Zach. They actually do make some, uh, some fancy short films, but yeah, there's, there's countless short films. I can't wait till people see the babysitter murders. That was, uh, last year. It's so fucking good. So incredible. So anyways, um, All Hallows Eve support short films because that's how people get to do their features. Hopefully they don't make features of the short films because those usually aren't very good. Um, yeah. Next up is this movie. This movie. Um, it's called Painkillers, another RLJ Entertainment. Um, a bunch of soldiers go on a mission in Afghanistan to fight, of course, everybody says, the Taliban, like every fucking white person. Um, they <laughs> go to Afghanistan, hunt them down. Uh, they encounter something of the supernatural source. They all suffer from amnesia. They're put into a program at basically a lab for them to regain their memory to find out what happened. Um, and it sounds like a cool concept. However, they allude to so many things. You're never given a full answer. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Um, but watch – if you want to watch it, that's fine. It's just one of those films that you wish that you would have thought of so you can do it your way because you feel that your way would be better. Um, but it's – Is it the zombie Taliban? <laughs> no. No, it actually is extraterrestrial is what they – Lame. Uh, they kind of go, go towards – and I'm a big alien. More soldiers with aliens. Boo hoo. <laughs> but it's 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 another level than that, which I kind of like because there is kind of this. Um, I don't want to. I already gave kind of it away. Um, this the soldiers believe that they are 
you know, they wake up and they're like, oh, I'm this soldier that was fighting good. I'm I'm a good person. And then they kind of find out that they're kind of pieces of shit, some of them, because then they start remembering what they did. And they're like, holy shit, I'm actually a bad person. Well, fuck it. I'm a bad person now, so I'm going to kill everybody. It's that type of thing. So it actually has a lot of cool things going for it. It's just, however, they don't achieve the levels of awesomeness that they they put out there just a little bit. It's like it's it's just not a very well written script, is what it is. Um, they should have toned down on the drama and focused a lot more on kind of uh, the relationship between people and kind of the deception that is there. Um, next up, we talked about Jess Franco earlier, and mm-hmm. I bring up Jess Franco a lot. Uh, Blue Underground. Did you watch another Jess Franco movie? I watched another. Like, seriously, if you have a pile of a thousand movies and you pull one out, nine out of ten times is going to be a Jess Franco movie. Dude has, like, fucking 500 movies under his belt. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, Blue Underground released these incredible sets, um, these three disc limited editions of two Jess Franco films. It has the soundtrack in it, uh, DVD, Blu ray. This booklet, I mean, they really fucking went all out on these releases. Um, this one is uh, Eugene, Eugenie, if you want to be all you know, technical. Um, however, you know, this, this is a shorter film by Jess Franco. It was made in the 70s. Um, it is awesome because Christopher Lee is in it. And it's weird seeing Christopher Lee... In a Jess Franco movie. I've never seen Jess, uh, Christopher Lee in a Jess Franco movie. I don't know if I'm totally blind. I got my blinders on or if this is a common occurrence other than maybe Dracula because I just watched that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. Christopher Lee was awesome in Jess Franco's Dracula. I'm going to give this a shot. So it might be working together a lot. However, I'm going to check them all down because Christopher Lee is pretty cool in this. And it's weird because he is in the S&M. Hmm. Um, it's a – Kind of this, uh, you know, Marquis de Sade type um, uh, web of, you know, murder, fantasies, drugs, S&M. You just see this woman who is very innocent gets brought into this world of all of this crazy shit. And it is a really beautiful movie. It does this uh, 4k scan of, of, um, of the 35 millimeters. So it looks great. That's the one thing about Jess Franco. I always credit him with same with Gene Roland is that visually their movies are stunning. Um, however, I think there's kind of a lost in translation thing whenever the movies unfold because sometimes you're sitting there and you're like, what the fuck is this movie about? I have no idea. Lesbian rock and roll vampires? What the fuck? You know, that's not in this movie. That's another movie <laughs> that Jess Franco did. Um, so anyways, it's kind of a girl who gets brought in this web of, you know, these this fucking S&M like world where there's also murder being uh, around, and she kind of catches on early and tries to kind of escape um, from these people. Kind of suspenseful, kind of a murder mystery. Um, a lot of sexy, a lot of sexy time, a lot of boobies. Um, but actually, a decent, a decent film. It doesn't do anything new. It's just you know a decent script, some 
good acting, especially on Lee's part. So definitely a, you know, if you're into Jess Franco, it's right up your alley. And plus, it's a decent movie. You know, it's a lot of fun. Cool. And not really much to say. I mean, you know, very standard little storyline, but visually it's, uh, it's. You seem to be warming up to Jess Franco. Pleasurable. Yeah. I would say the last, uh, last two films I've had a good experience. Hmm. So I'll be. I'm going to look to see if any any other movies that Christopher Lee might have a barrage of film. I don't know. I I just I didn't know he really worked with Lee all that much. Um, next up is a film directed by our beloved Roger Christensen, who did Battlefield Earth. Um, oh boy. <laughs> um, so, but before he did Battlefield Earth, he um, worked with. Um, uh, George Lucas on Star Wars, and when Star Wars was first released in theaters, they did a uh, he had a short film he wrote and directed um, called Black Angel. And if you were lucky enough, your theater screened Black Angel. It was a twenty minute short um, before Star Wars. Um, and a funny story about Black Angel: uh, the print was supposedly destroyed, um, never heard of again. Um, until last year, or actually the end of 2014, I think it was November, they were cleaning out some museum and they found a print of the actual film. That's so, so cool. Uh, they remastered it. They put it on iTunes to buy for uh, a, you know a few dollars, and it was the first time that Black Angel could be seen again after all this time. Uh, great short film. Um, right after he worked with that, he did something with Alien. I think he did like you know DP or some something of that nature. Well, however, then he uh, did one of his first. Uh, I don't know if it was his first feature. However, he did a, uh, a horror film called The Sender. Um, the Sender is about a opens up with a man who's trying to kill himself. He's trying to drown himself at the beach by putting like rocks and shit and you know in his pants and trying to drown himself. So um, he goes to the hospital um, and he's uh, basically suffering from um, amnesia and kind of doesn't know who he is or anything like that. And so the doctors start doing tests. Um, and they find the main doctor played by Catherine, whatever's her last name. God damn it. She's pretty too. Um, so anyways, the, the lead doctor, uh, that's, you know, is treating him. She starts seeing and hearing things that are weird and she doesn't know how to really explain them. I'm not going to dive too much into it because it gives stuff away. However, she realizes that what she is seeing and hearing is a connection to her patient. Um, and it really is a fun little horror film, uh, psychological terror in a way. Um, a lot of fun. I know Tarantino is a huge fan of this movie. Um, and that's originally how I think I, uh, I pulled it off my uh, shelf of VHS tapes. Cause I had, you know, fucking thousands of tapes. And it was always one that I remember seeing cover art to, um, but just never really watched. And when I heard that he really liked it, you know, I wanted to give it a shot. Um, and I and I was pleasantly surprised. All the films released it on Blu-ray finally. This has been out for a little while. I think it came back in October, but I just now got around to it. Um, but yeah, I, I rewatched it again after all these years. Still really uh, stands out from uh, your kind of normal 
80s horror films. Like, it really tried to do something different, and it was uh, a lot of fun. So I definitely suggest you check it out, because I believe it's extremely underseen. So Very cool. Uh, that's it. Battlefield wow. Roger, Roger Christensen. Yeah! <laughs> So um, you made me think of something that I wanted to actually bring up to you guys um, when you were talking about like guy trying to like drown himself with rocks or whatever on the beach. And um, <clears throat> I know I've mentioned the website on the site before, but do you guys ever read dreamanddemon.com? No. Mm, I do okay. Not. So dream dot com is just like the scourge of the world. It is a site that compiles all of the. Oh, God the real life true headlines of like the craziest crimes that are committed around the country. Like whenever you see those headlines that are like woman beats husband with squirrel because he wouldn't change the sofa or whatever, like they compile all of that. So like the weird ones, but then they also do ones that are like kind of sad, like, you know, woman microwaves baby for three days, like something (laughs) crazy awful. Um, but there was one that I read, uh, uh, yesterday where a husband had tried to drown himself by using his wife's decapitated head as a weight oh my in the lake. And which I read that I was like, that wouldn't make sense. That would float. Um, but what he did is he like cut his wife into a, like a bunch of little pieces and then he put her head in like a bucket and filled it with cement and then he wanted to use that as his weight to drown himself but then like he got busted before he could do it has that been used in a film before because i was <laughs> reading it and i was like god that sounds very familiar like something that i've seen i don't and i don't i figured you guys would know more than i would because you i feel like brad would know this like oh that was in such and such movie oh directed by so and so but like has that happened where someone's like tried to use the remains of someone that they've killed as like the weight to kill themselves or just like the weight in general for something no i don't know of anything i just found the story it's crazy <laughs> <Holy> right <laughs> This is this website is like the reason why I avoid just the nightly news. So I don't know if I need a it's, whole website dedicated it's to this. Nuts. Shit. Wow. Like, <clears throat> the problem with that website though is that you will be on it for hours. You will just lose time because you'll read it and you're like, "What? Oh my god, this is not real!" Like, and some of them are super funny. Like, Meth Head tries to like fight self in mirror reflection at Walmart. Like, <laughs> that's super funny to me. Like that's never not going to be funny, but then it'll like the way that they describe things is always good. Like whenever they cover um, like people like teachers that are getting busted with their students, um, they usually handle it in a really good way where they like completely shame the shit out of the teacher without ever saying anything terrible about the kid. Cause usually sometimes news news sites will cover it and they'll be like, this kid should have been glad that teacher's hot. But instead they'll be like, this teacher should stop sucking so much 16 year old dick. Like, and you're like, yeah, she shouldn't. That's awful. Um, yeah, it's a great site, but if you ever need like an interesting or unique way to kill someone for your screenplay, dream and demons got you covered with actual ways. People have done crazy ass shit. Wow. I'll put a link in the show notes for all of you to uh, ruin your days with. Yep. Say goodbye to a couple uh, hours. It's wow. going away. 
All right. Well, speaking of morbid shit, um, we are going to jump into some stuff here. We've, you know, the past few weeks, it's, it's just been like a landslide since the new year of uh, of people dying. I mean, it kind of got kicked off with Lemmy uh, Kilmister of Motorhead. He died on December 28th, and that was kind of a, um, you know, a big blow to everybody because Lemmy is fucking awesome. I mean, he's the he's best. He's God, man. <laughs> he's the best part of... Um, of uh anything whenever hardware. he shows up it's just fun i mean hard well hardware he's great he's very has a small part in that but uh in uh the that documentary series that came out about um decline of western, decline of western civilization. civilization and he's in the uh the second one the one about all the you know 80s hair bands and his interview is like the best thing out of the, on that whole set he's just he doesn't give a shit he's just cool as hell, just just saying it like it is, standing on top of this hill around sunset smoking on a cigarette. It's just, it's great. But um, but to have Lemmy pass away at the age of 70 to prostate cancer, was it prostate cancer or pink? Um, Yesterday prostate they, cancer. they said it was um, prostate yeah. cancer along with uh, cardiac arrhythmia. Okay. So, heart failure. Yeah. So to have him pass away at 70 was huge. And then the next one that through everyone for loop was a huge blow was David, David Bowie. And he died on the, on the 10th of January and he was suffering from cancer as well. I'm not sure exactly. Bug cancer. Yeah, exactly. Liver cancer Truth. is what I'm seeing. He had liver cancer. He recorded his final album after finding, after being diagnosed with cancer, which is incredible. Uh, black star. And right after his birthday. Yeah, his birth his, his album was released on his birthday. Yeah, died like two days. God, it's crazy. He was sixty nine, um, and then I mean, more. We also had been... Angus Angus Scrim. They yes. also had Angus Scrim. Yep. yep. Like we, we covered had... Angus. We, like, we recorded talking about Angus Scrim, and then like hours after we were done recording. Oh yeah, like, David let, Bowie. Yeah, like we went to bed, or at least I did, because it was fucking one in the morning. Went to bed, and that's when I was seeing yeah. things about David Bowie being dead, and people were like, "Oh, it's a hoax." And then I woke up, and I was like, "Oh shit!" I couldn't no, sleep it's not. that night. I, I I couldn't sleep because that's the last thing I saw before I was going to go to bed. <clears throat> was about Bowie, and that was crazy. And then uh, Alan Rickman dies at age sixty nine on yeah. the fourteenth. Um, there's been other musicians as well. Um, um, Eagles, Glenn Glenn Fry. Yeah, Glenn Fry and. Uh, the voice of the voice Grizzly of Grizzly Adams um, died. Yeah, yeah Grizzly, Grizzly Adams. Adams. He was in a lot of horror films too. Uh, the voice, yeah. the voice of uh, Robin Hood and Disney's Robin Hood, which is probably my favorite Disney movie of all time. Um, that actor died, but it was like within a few weeks. <laughs> we lose this incredible amount of. Well, I know that talent. there is. Yeah, well, there is. You know, there's one thing that I. It, because I didn't know if sites were doing it as a joke, but they were like, you know, because I think, uh, like, the drummer of Crosby, Stills, and Nash died. Um, the drummer for Mop the Hopple. Or is it Hoople? I always forget. And, uh, of course, I think they played with Bowie, too. But, you know, it's just this, like, all these, like, articles about people dying. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, are, like I didn't know if people were doing it, like, as a joke. Right. Like, hey, this, you know, manager of this band from 1969 to 1970 died yesterday. 
Yeah, that's what it, like, I saw a couple other articles uh, of, like, people dying. I'm like, who is this? Like, I mean, everybody that dies, of course, is important because, it's you know, it's somebody to somebody, you know? Yeah. So, but it was just, like, you know, playing off the kind of this death thing. And I was like, god damn, that's so, like, that's weird and sinister and also click clickbaity. <laughs> you know, like, come on, man. Yeah, so I, saw, anyways, I saw a joke, a joke one today, and I was like, ugh. I forget where. Well, there was another one where it's like uh, Keith Richards is not dead in his hotel room. <laughs> I kind of giggled. Oh no, the one I saw was Animal, <laughs> the Muppet died. Oh, uh, that was kind of that was kind of funny. That makes me so sad. <laughs> so, but I, but I was like, really? Come on. You know, it is this. You know, at first, I mean, really good. Uh, what January? I'm sorry, I'm yawning. Um, <laughs> you gonna be okay? Yeah, I think so. January twentieth, right? Yeah, and like you know, it's just like one. This is like taking the place of like shootings across America. I know, huh? Friggin' Which, and, and it's all like uh, age. You know, people past their sixties, um, and it's friggin' cancer. Fucking cancer, man! Cancer sucks. You know. So, what I, I I don't know how I wanted to handle this. I wanted to, to bring them up, but I wanted to maybe, you know, especially if, if Bowie and because he was such a creative force in like so many films, both on the screen and musically. So I didn't know if you if we wanted to go around and kind of give a favorite Bowie moment, some of our favorite Bowie moments yeah. in, in entertainment. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say like I, I mean I I'm, I can be quick with that because. I mean, I've always thought Bowie is great. You know, I, I loved um, I loved a lot of his songs. Um, you know, his kind of sci-fi, you know, rock opera persona that he did with Ziggy mm-hmm. Stardust. I always kind of liked that. I mean, Life on Mars, I think, was, was probably my, you know, favorite song. Um, you know, it, but he wasn't like, you know, I, was, I wouldn't say I was a huge Bowie fan. I just enjoyed his music and... You know, even the movies that he was in, some of them I wasn't a big fan of the film, but I actually liked watching him. You know, especially like in, um, well, Labyrinth. He's just so weird. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like that movie at all, but I always enjoyed watching him. Be- yeah, I'm not a fan. Dude, I don't like that fantasy shit. I didn't like Dark Crystal. I didn't like Princess Bride. I didn't Ugh. like Labyrinth. I didn't like that kind you of You probably stuff. saw them when you're too old. I saw them when I was like. No, I saw them when I was eight. young. I don't, I'm not a fan of the fantasy fantasy genre like that. But anyways, I mean, he was he was always fun, and I I, I think that um, you know he was essential in the music industry because he gave you know this kind of this weird. Uh, you know, when 70s rock was really popular, he kind of gave this, I don't know, this kind of like fashionable, uh, I don't know, that just just a weird persona, you know? I mean, he had the whole Ziggy Stardust thing, but he was just, he was just a weird guy. And he was showing that weird is okay mm-hmm. and embrace it and be who you are. And I think that helped a lot of people in many ways, uh, music and in life. So he was very... Um, encouraging um in in that force of being who you want to be and it's okay so i think that was a, i think it's a good you know he, he sent a good message out and i think he kept it up because he was always kind of a cool guy mm-hmm. you know and um you know it was you know sad to see him go of course especially right after his birthday his last album you know I, but he did go out with a bang yeah man if, you, if you're gonna go out 
does an album like when he knows he's diagnosed and you know did like a photo shoot as well i think that's pretty cool and then it's like how that's how mozart went out and like that's all i could think about when you know when he passed and you know then all the reports came out that you know he knew he was gonna go and this is how he went i was like that's when mozart wrote his you know his requiem is he knew he was gonna die i was like that's that just shows like the true masterful artistry that he had. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah Bowie was, was kind son, of, you know, that also traveled with his son making a couple, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of bring, bringing in the science fiction world between, you know, moon and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, the movie Jake Gyllenhaal, but forgets the name of it now. Source code. Source code. Mm-hmm. And he's you doing know. the Warcraft movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's also rubbing off. Duncan Jones. Yeah, rubbing off on his son making Mm -hmm. these, uh, you know, when he very first heard he was doing Moon, I was like, how appropriate is that? You know, his son's very first film was a science, you know, space station science fiction movie. You know, I thought it was always cool, too. You know, I just, he's very, he's a very inspiring man and still, and will always be inspiring. And I think that's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, he created such a legacy and will be remembered forever. Like, he'll never die out. You know, and I think that's, I think he achieved everything you could ever want in life on that. Because it's, I, cause I think one of the things that is one of my main goals is to inspire and never be forgotten and keep inspiring people to do things based on what I've done like that. I think that's, that's a, that's a crowning achievement. I think that's the end all be all is, you know, create a legacy and have people follow it and be inspired and be like, you know what, David Bowie like inspired me to do this or anybody of that, of that nature. I think that's a really fucking cool thing. Like to live a life and have that, just have that, fucking cool like it's, it's it, to me it's super fucking cool yeah you know all, all like artistry like between directors writers painters like you know you just mentioned mozart like mozart will never ever go like we'll never forget about those types of things they'll never be buried they'll never disappear and i think that's fucking awesome i david bowie achieved that you know so bj how about how about you what are your David Bowie was kind of my gateway drug into um, a lot of, I I think, a a major, major part of what I like and who I am. And it's 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 a a personal story, but it's 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 a quick one. So I know I've talked about my parents, you know, they were big into horror and they kind of let me watch whatever I want. Um, But my parents are also, you know, pretty conservative Republican type people. And they, they showed me what they liked. So things like David Bowie or like Rocky horror or things that were, you know, very fringe was like, they weren't against me seeing it, but it's not something that interested them. So it wasn't something they were going to seek out and show me. So I was 14 and it was the first time that I had ever been like, you know the first time you are knowingly defiant, like when you know I am deliberately lying to my parents <laughs> and I am being a bad kid right now. Yeah. Um. So I was, 
it was like my third week of high school. I just made all of these new friends in like the theater and music group. And it was my friend's birthday. And we drove up to Milwaukee to go to this restaurant for her birthday. And she was the biggest and still is biggest David Bowie fan I've ever met in my life. And all she wanted for her birthday was to go to this restaurant. And then we were going to go home and get high and watch Labyrinth. Like that's all she wanted to do. And my parents were not against any of it, but they were totally against their 14-year-old going up to Milwaukee with a bunch of high school kids. Like, they were not cool with that. So I lied, like you do, and I (laughs) went to Milwaukee anyway, and I had never seen Labyrinth before. And I went back to, you know, the place afterwards, and we watched Labyrinth. And my parents, who had seen Labyrinth, drilled me about it when I got home the next day because they knew because I'm a terrible liar, that I had gone to Milwaukee (laughs) and I had lied to them about it. So they drilled me about Labyrinth. They're like, well, what happened in it? And what happened next? And what was he wearing? And why did she say this? And what does this mean? And I was too high to function (laughs) because I was 14 and stupid that I got everything wrong and I gave all these like stupid philosophical answers and they're like, you lied to us and you did this. But for whatever reason, that moment of I just got in trouble and I like did went to this restaurant and saw this weird ass movie. This is awesome. Like (laughs) this is so punk rock and cool. And because of that, I then started seeking out more of that because I knew like mom and dad don't like this. So then it became appealing. So that's when I started searching out things like Hedwig and the Angry Inch and the Rocky Horror Picture Show and a lot of the fringy queer cinema that I love, 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 love so dearly that has become such an integral part of who I am. And it all started from, you know, lying to my parents and watching David Bowie movies. Nice. Um, so because of that, you know, David Bowie will always have a very, very special place in my heart as being like, that was, that was my gateway of being a bad kid and doing, doing something that I wasn't supposed to do was, was David Bowie. And, you know, it just was further cemented, you know, later in life when I saw the hunger for the first time. Mm. I saw The Hunger right around the same time I saw Fright Night. We already know the effect that Fright Night had on me. And it says a lot about me that both of the Sarandons, man, <laughs> they do some stuff. Susan Sarandon and The Hunger Man. Oh, dude, right? Damn. She's she's so fine in that movie. Smoking. Um, but just, oh, God, just David Bowie in that movie. He's decrepit and you know he's fallen apart and his old age makeup on it is is so weird looking um but that movie is just kind of like that weird psychosexual you know kind of gender politics and it's also you know very i don't even know but that's another thing that like really draws me into horror is i like when they play with kind of the sexual politics within the genre because it is scary and it is confusing. <clears throat> and, you know, Bowie was a part of that too. And, um, I actually watched the hunger the morning that, um, you know, the, the day after we recorded and I, I wasn't entirely sure why I decided to watch it, but I think it's because for whatever reason it was therapeutic for me to watch him 
fall apart hmm. the way he does in that movie. Mm-hmm. It made it kind of like final for me to know like, yeah, he's he's gone, gone. And to see it with my eyes, even though it's, you know, fictionalized and I've seen the movie, you know, a dozen times. But seeing him in the old age makeup and like seeing him that way, I think made it a little bit human for me because when you think of David Bowie, you do think of Ziggy Stardust and kind of this alien, otherworldly kind of thing. Like David Bowie has never been human to me. He's always been an alien. Yeah. So that kind of brought it down to earth for me, which I think I needed. Um, I don't know. It's, it's weird that I'm, I'm finally at the age where these celebrities who have had such a profound impact on me are going to start passing. And that's, I think, a very strange thing to to come to terms with. I mean, like, I saw the way my mom reacted when, like, Davy Jones died. And, like, you would have thought that, like, somebody killed her brother. Like, she was mortified Mm. for days. And I never really understood that. But oh, sorry. Some apparently someone else is dying because there's a thousand sirens <laughs> going, shit going on. Yeah, one moment. I'm gonna pause my mic. <laughs> Don't live in the hood, guys. <laughs> I think to uh, piggyback off what um, you know, um, kind of BJ was saying is that how these you know deaths are kind of affecting us now. Imagine what it's gonna be like, you know, in you know, just I mean, any time that somebody of you know, kind of our our decade, uh, you know, um, you know, kind of kind of our generation when when they pass, uh, because we are now so in touch with kind of people, mm-hmm. like we can, we you know, with social media, we can literally tell you know one of our favorite writers or directors uh you know or authors or painters or anybody that inspires us we can say hey man really enjoyed your work and they can respond hey yeah great and then they'll follow you on twitter and then you'll talk to them back and forth right so now it's getting it's getting so personal that when these people do die you know we you know i've never met uh, Wes Craven, but when he died, that was that was a big thing for me because of how much he inspired me. Imagine like when someone passes that you talk like, what if you talk to him like on a weekly basis, or you know you like, just there's, casually- there's a couple of them that like I'm not gonna say on the on the air yeah, or anything, yeah, yeah I mean I, I have never, but like like there are some that you know donated and sent me letters when I was sick. Like, people that I worshipped who, you know, personally reached out to me and they're like, hey, you're sick, I want to help you, you're a fan of my work, and I'm a fan of you kind of thing. And it's just, that's so surreal to me. And to know that that sort of mortality exists, because I'm I'm weirdly in tune with my mortality and with the mortality around me, which I think is a blessing and a curse. It's, it's a blessing in the fact that like, I'm, I get over it a little quicker than I think most people because I've been there. Um, but it's also a curse because I think I'm a lot more expecting of it and I'm, it's made me a little bit hardened because of it. So I don't get, quite as devastated which 
I don't like. I, I like being upset and crying. I mm-hmm. think that it's cathartic and I think that it's necessary and I don't, I don't get to do that over death as much as I used to. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, 20, 30 years from now, it's going to be a lot weirder because we're not going to be, you know, pulling up from the archives the time we wrote a fan letter and they replied to us three months later. We're going to be pulling yeah. up like photographs from conventions and, you know, conversations that we had, you know, one on one because everybody is so much more accessible than they used to be. Yeah, and it's that's going to be it's going to be really it's gonna crazy. Be weird. You know? Like yeah. it's it's you know because it's one of those things where you know you have you know you have those people that say, well, you didn't know them. Well, yeah, they they kind of did, but now it's going to be like yeah, I kind of did, you know. I talked to yeah. him, you know, yeah. <laughs> I had a running DM with them on Twitter because, you know, they liked what I said. And then we actually became friends. It's happened to me, you know, like, you know, I've said something about, you know, somebody I like, you know, or like, hey, man, this movie's really cool. And then it's like, you know, you talk to the director and then you become friends and then you, you know, they get their phone and then you text them and then you become friends. Like, that's what's going to happen because even though a person's a friend or you correspond with them, you know, on a, occasionally, now you have this really personal connection with them. And that's really going to fucking suck. Yeah. You know, because now you're actually going to be losing not only someone that inspires you, but you're going to be losing a friend. And yeah. that is devastating. So yeah, you know. Um, sorry to fucking yeah. Let it go, Jesus. Brad. We just well, brought the whole room down. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> David Bowie. Like I, what I liked the most about him, I I like that he was kind of a multi-format artist. You know, he didn't limit himself just to music, and he 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 expanded his artistic you know, uh, arms, you know, and did film and, and music and <clears throat> inspired so much more art. You know, he was visual. He was a visual person, uh, a visual artist. And like, he was good in the, the films that he was in, you know, like you can always yeah. say like when he was, um, like the hunger, he's fantastic. You know, labyrinth is probably my earliest, uh, recollection of him. Like, as as an actor, but um, even in films like The Prestige, when he plays Tesla, you know he's really great. Oh yeah, he's know, great in that role. Um, and then I almost feel like I discovered his music. I dug into his music later on. You know, after I kind of I must have seen him in film first in Labyrinth, and then um, saw him throughout the years and different things, and then knew of his music, but didn't really start digging into it. You know, um, I have a handful of his records that I'll pop on every now and then, but. But yeah, he but he was one of those guys. You know, like, like you guys have mentioned, like he seemed otherworldly. Like he wasn't gonna die. And you know, I haven't even you know, I haven't seen the man who fell to earth. It's on my giant oh, list of shame. It's so really. cool. Well, the friggin' it's a really uh, bizarre movie. Criterion uh, Blu-ray is always is out of print. It's on Hulu, isn't it? Hell yeah. yes. I think okay. it's on Hulu. I think you're right. I think uh, I just recently added it. I finally started browsing through Criterion. On Hulu, cool. So I will definitely make that make it a point to watch that. But um, I don't know. Like you, you never, you always just imagined Bowie young. You know, even when you see pictures of him older, you know, it's almost like he's not that old. 
in a weird way. You just can't, almost your brain almost can't, can't uh, process it. <laughs> so, I don't know, he will definitely be missed, of course, <clears throat> in, in art and film and, and music. So, the other major death that we had, and I'm not trying to say that anyone else who has passed recently is not as important. Yeah, you're going to start a shitstorm. Of- right. I'm, yeah, I'm not trying to say the other <laughs> ones aren't as important. Just these are, you know, the two that we chose to focus on, but the other big one was Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman is, you know, for those of you who know, just a very, very accomplished performer of both the stage and the screen and he meant a lot to a lot of people for a variety of his roles um i was first introduced to him in a little film called die hard as did most people um as hans gruber yes uh which was kind of his you know his breakout into the mainstream public's eye i mean he'd been doing things on the stage for fucking decades mm-hmm. um absolutely killing it but Hans Gruber was really what shot him to the limelight isn't that amazing and that that was his first it's, it's film unbelievable. role he was on TV and stuff but that was his first film role and he friggin he just kills that role and it's still one of the most memorable roles it's, know, it's iconic his. is yeah. what it is like to think that your first real like I mean he'd done some stuff that had been recorded for like like I think he did um some Shakespeare that had been recorded before, but like your first mainstream feature film, like Hollywood movie and it's fucking Hans Gruber. Like that's awesome. Um, Cause he's fucking Alan Rickman and he's amazing. Well, his voice um, is just, and that's the know. thing he's, he's, he's got a voice like, like a Vincent price where you hear it and you know immediately who he is. It doesn't matter in what context, what he's saying, you know, oh, Alan Rickman, boom. And you can emulate it all you want, but it's just, you're not Alan Rickman. And that's, that's just, ugh, he's so cool. Um, and yeah, Brad can roll his eyes at me all he wants, but you need to also <laughs> no, take into no, account, no. I'm 25. Like, remember <laughs> that for a second. I was 11 when the first Harry Potter movie came out. Do mm. I appreciate that, you know, I saw him as Hans Gruber first. Absolutely. I saw him in Dogma before I saw him in Harry Potter. Again, parents make great decisions and let me watch movies way too young. <laughs> but he he is Severus Snape to me because that's what I grew up with for over a decade. Mm-hmm. I grew up with that character similarly to the way that, you know, people see, you know, Robert England and he is Freddy Krueger because that's what you were, you know, that's what you watched him as for years and years and years. So from, you know, age 11 to age, you know, 21, 22, when the films were, you know, finalized for me, he was Severus Snape. And he was this awful villain who then, you know, turned out to be this incredible hero. And that showed, you know, not only the strength of those films to me, but the strength of Alan Rickman as an actor. Because what a lot of people don't realize that are not like super fucking dorks like myself is that Alan Rickman knew how Harry Potter was was going to end before anyone else did. Mm-hmm. Because J.K. Rowling told him ahead of time, this is your through line. I need you to keep this in mind. 
you know, to play this way at the beginning so that by the end it all makes sense. So he knew from the get go and none of us knew, like none of us caught on the twist, the ending, whatever, until the final moments when it happened. And that just goes to show you how incredible of a performer that he is, that once it happens, you go back, you rewatch it, and you see all these subtle nuances that he put in that you never would have noticed unless it was pointed out to you. And they're brilliant. They're so small and yet so important. And it just shows the skill and just the passion that he had for performance and the dedication that he had to really creating a full fully rounded character. And I I think that's what so many actors today lose Mm -hmm. is that they don't, they don't put the work in to create these characters and like Severus Snape, you can, you know, blow them up as like these popcorn movies, all you want. Severus Snape and, you know, McGonagall with, you know, Maggie Smith. When you put these classically trained British actors into these characters, they, they really bring them to life. And he brought, he breathed life into this character. He became this character. And that's why I think people love it so much and why they they were so upset and so affected. And everyone wants to dismiss it as like, Oh, you just like Harry Potter. He's did so much more than that. Yeah. Well, no shit. He's done more than Harry Potter, but he was, he was so good at what he did because he's the one person who when we read those books and we watch those films, nothing has changed. It's the same thing we all imagined in our brains reading the books because hmm. he did the work. He nailed it. And he's just a brilliant performer. He just was so incredible in those roles. And, you know, it, it just it really broke my heart when he when he was gone because that's that's one. That's one of the like. That was the start for me of like, oh my god! Like the people that are the characters that you know took me through my childhood. Like yeah. they're starting to go, and that was that step one. And yeah. we we really did lose one of the greatest performers. People can call him monotone all they want. You got to look at the subtle the subtlety of his work. He is. Brilliant. Well, he he took a role in a comedy in Galaxy Quest. That's a t- you know a riff on Spock. Yeah. You know, and that is like he takes that role and makes it his own. And it's one of my favorite characters in that film. You know, this failed uh, you know Shakespearean actor. <laughs> you know, and there's an art to playing the straight man. And yeah. like that's the other thing too is everybody's like. You know, oh, well, it's not that funny to just, like, play it, you know, you know, a through line or blah, blah, blah. No, like, do you know how fucking obnoxious it is to watch a bunch of people that are just blah, blah, blah all the time? It's exhausting. You need the people that are good at just giving it to you straight and, like, straight to the point. Here's the fact. This is the joke. This is how it goes. Yeah. And he was – he could do it effortlessly. There was – he was so fucking good at it that, you know, it was intimidating. And that's why I like, you know, when as much as I completely dislike Kevin Smith, I've really enjoyed seeing all of the posts that he's been writing about 
Alan Rickman and what it was like to work with him and, you know, Jason Mewes memorizing everyone's lines on Dogma because he didn't want to, you know, piss off Alan Rickman. Wow. And, like, that goes to show you the kind of, you know, air that he had around him of being just a professional and being so polished. And I wish that we still had performers like that. It seems like everybody who's an actor now, they just want to be famous and they just want to be in this big blockbuster and make a bunch of money and do this. Like no one wants to fucking put in the work anymore. And we're going to start losing all of our classic, just (laughs) pure artists in in terms of actors. A bunch of fucking Jai Courtney's running around. With no emotion. And just wait for Captain Boomerang. <laughs> it just—it just—it just breaks my heart. To yeah. see, you know, not only is it just somebody that you know I look at as you know a, a, a childhood kind of hero, but as somebody who genuinely appreciates the craft of performance, you know, we lost somebody that yeah. appreciated it and. Yeah respected it and there's just too many people getting too many awards making too much money and getting too much acclaim that just don't put in the work and well i mean put in the work my my other favorite character there's probably three of my favorite characters in movies that he's played hans gruber number one um the sheriff of nottingham in, in oh, robin God, Hood, Prince yeah of Thieves he's so is good fantastic um his uh Character in uh, it was Alexander Dane in Galaxy Quest, and then um, you know Severus Snape. Those are probably my top four performances of his. I, I like him in Dogma, but you know he's funny. But I mean, Dogma's not. I don't know. Like, but um, I think those are my four of the performances that have always stuck with me after viewing them. Um, Brad, you haven't said anything about Alan Rickman. What do you have? What what what, what do you have to say about him? No, I've I've always in, I've always enjoyed his work. I mean, yeah, it was sad, sad to see him go. I mean, you know, he, he always he, he's a great character actor. You know, it's it's kind of hard, you know, because he's he was really good and did you know a great job of what he did that you couldn't really tell him. Like, I think one of the best compliments to an actor is like, man, I had no idea that was you in that movie. Yeah. You know, I think that's I think that's kind of how Alan Rickman was because um, even though I haven't watched uh, all the Harry Potter films, I've only watched like the first I think two or three, whatever the one where they're fighting somebody in a house at the end of the movie, uh, whatever that one is. Um, you know, when I very first, uh, you know, because I knew he was in it because actually he was the only decent part of of those of those films. Um, the later ones get better because everyone gets older. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. heard that, but I yeah. really can't. I can't do it anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I can't go on. Um, so, like, I I completely forgot because I was like, oh shit, yeah, that is Alan Rickman. Like, he's you know, and especially like with Dogma and stuff. Like, I'm I I went back and you know, I think the day of his death, I just like looked through his IMDb page and I'm like, shit, that's who. Like, I, I kept on forgetting like. Not by memory, but like, man, that's Alan Rickman as that role. Like, you know, so I think, I think that's a pretty cool thing is when you kind of, you're almost like a chameleon in a way. What's weird about him is he's, he is a chameleon with roles, but it's also distinctly him. And you know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah, he's 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 so good at what he does that he stands out. But I think the character stands yeah. out, yeah. not the actor. And totally. I, I think I think that's more or less a compliment than you know, like oh, I didn't notice you were in that movie. No, I think that's more or less a compliment to actors. Yeah, because, absolutely. You know, because he he just completely envelops whoever he's becoming. He he lets himself truly go to those places and be those characters. I mean. When you look at Dogma, he wears a like a a dickless crotch, like codpiece. <laughs> like you have one of the most respected actors of the British stage, and you're you're making him wear a dickless codpiece. That's hilarious. <laughs> like that's in, incredible to me that he got away with that, and that just goes to show the dedication that a performer like Alan Rickman has. Because most people would scoff at something like that. They'd be like, "No way, I'm not wearing that shit." And he's like. Okay, if that's what the script asks, then that's what I'm doing. And you're like, God, you're so good. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, we've uh, he will miss he, his filmography is so great, and there's so many movies that I still haven't seen that uh, I need to make it a point to really kind of dive in. He's done a lot of dramas and, th- and things like that too. Just you know, not non fantasy, science fiction, the type stuff. You know, and um, I really want to kind of dig into his filmography and even more. So it's a shame that it kind of takes someone passing for us to really start to give, you know, other films a chance, but, um, we're not going to get another Alan Rickman film. So you got to go through and, uh, start discovering, you know, all the stuff that we've, I guess, overlooked. So, yeah. Well, isn't he the voice of the caterpillar in the, uh, Alice in Wonderland movies, the Tim Burton (sighs) ones. Probably he worked with Tim Burton in um, that shaving movie. Because I, I want to say, I want to say they yeah. finished they finished the sequel to what, Noah. Hold on, my son's telling me something. What what'd you say? Probably saying about Alan Rickman. You had poopoo in the potty. High five! Congratulations. He probably can't hear. I give you a in a few minutes. Okay. One minute, okay? Go look at the One poop, minute. Sean. I'll be right out. Sean, go look at the poop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it needs uh-huh. to be verified. The poop needs to be verified that's in the toilet before candy is handed out. You need to go check it out. Yeah. Well, we do need to wrap up. So, yeah, we do. Um, uh, my, my wife is at her wit, wit's end with the children and, he, and I need to <laughs> I need to tag we need a tag team I need to give her a break you need to ta- you need to tag her out <laughs> exactly she deserves it um I want to you know uh, check out all these everyone's uh you know check out more David Bowie films you have, you've missed and, and the music and definitely more Alan Rickman we're gonna get to the next the the films we were gonna be talking about uh, for the segments next week because I think I, I want to be able to dig into them and not just kind of brush over them because they're they're pretty damn fun. Um, of Unknown Origin and Dominion we'll be talking about next week for sure. So if you haven't seen those, track them down and be part of the discussion. Um, of course, check out our sponsors, Coffee Shop of Horrors and uh, Grindhouse Video. And Wolfman of Mars provide us the music for this show. And, oh, Noah, what are you doing? He's starting to mess with my soundboard. He wants to look, look at the poop. Ah, and then, of course, uh, uh, in- Kevin Smith, Kevin, Kevin Smith, Kevin Spencer, Noah, stop. <laughs> Kevin Spencer, uh, check out his art over at inkspatters.com. And go to our website, thescreamcast.com slash sponsors. Grab the poop. 
for no all of the in. details because there are coupon codes <laughs> that you can use. No, bring in the poop. No, bring in the poop. <laughs> all right, uh, that's gonna that, before you shut something off. That's gonna do it for this week's show. But I thank all you guys for listening. Bye bye. Bye. Gosh, Noah. Noah, say bye. Say bye. Okay, fine. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun.